how does one need to show up in order to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work? What are the practical skills and tools that boost one's practice of leadership in order to do that? These are the challenges that we as leadership practitioners approach every day as we observe and coach people in all kinds of roles, in all levels of organizations, and at organizations of various sizes. In this podcast, we'll share our experiences, the experiences of the people we support, and what we see as working. I'm Jonathan Rosenblatt. And I'm Marlene Jabrowski. Welcome to the Leadership Practitioner Podcast. Hey, Marlene. Hey, JR. So in the last couple of episodes, I think first we started with who practices leadership. Yeah. And then from who we went to, actually, I think it was the other way around. First, we talked about where, and then we talked about who. Okay. And so I think it kind of makes sense to go to what at this point. Mm-hmm. Which I think takes us to framework. See, now, it's always funny to me to talk about framework because everybody has a different definition of framework. I notice even you and I, when we talk about framework, we use it a little bit differently. So when you think of that word, what does it mean for you? So I think um, because a lot of times people think it's like prescription, right? And, And I actually think about it kind of different. And one of the reasons why I specifically use the word framework is to actually imply not a prescription. I think about it as like, a way of thinking or a structure for thinking, but not the actual thinking itself. Or actually, I said it right now, a structure, just like bullet points to get me thinking about something as almost like reference points to something else. What about you? Well, definitely the idea that uh, it's not what it's not, right? It's not, it's not instructions. It's not a recipe. I might take it a little further and say, not so much a structure, because a, stu- a structure still implies an absolute thing, like a thingy thing. For me, a framework is more of an invitation, inviting an approach to a particular situation. So definitely it's a thingy thing in that in order to have an invitation, the invitation has to be given. So it would have to be known what you're being invited to. But kind of like you said, not not rules, not thing in that sense. So when you when you talk about it as a structure, uh, what do you mean? It's a it's a funny funny way of thinking about it. I'll tell a, a short story of why I call it a structure. I find myself in in so many different situations where, especially as I was starting you know starting life in corporate life and just kind of getting my bearings around uh, leadership and and kind of collaborating with others, I ended up in these situations where there's having to deal with people dynamics and like team dynamics and and. Every time I'm just like, you know, so something would happen, doesn't matter what it is, but something would happen and I would just be like, oh, like, what am I supposed to do in this kind of situation to create the context where we could all be the best versions of ourselves, we can do our best work, we can create amazing things. And every time I felt like I was in that kind of situation, I had to think of something on the spot, almost as if I was thinking about it brand new. And then I realized as I was kind of reflecting over all of those different situations, I'm like, hold on a second. Even though in the moment I thought about it as like, oh, wow, I have to think about this in the moment. The end result was always the same. I would follow the same sequence of steps to get myself ready or get myself in the right headspace to do something. So that's kind of like why I call it a structure, because for me, being a more structured person, I like having that 
you know, that set of eight steps to be like, okay, so you're in a situation. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Follow these eight steps. And the steps are are open enough and sort of vague enough that doesn't tell me what to do in that particular situation, but at least it gives me a way of thinking of what tools can I grab at in this situation that makes sense to help me align to to those eight. That's why kind of like for me, it, it is a structure. The metaphors that we use to describe it for me shift. So sometimes, JR, you've heard me talk about it as a backpack, mm-hmm. right? That's me thinking about over the years, learning a kind of self-confidence, learning an ability to show up in a place knowing that I have the tools that I need to work my way through that situation and that they don't have to be the most perfect tools. They just have to be, there has to be kind of one of about these eight different areas. I didn't, I didn't think about it as the number eight, really, until you and I sat down and we started talking about this. And I realized that my backpack looked an awful lot like what sometimes I've heard you describe as your binder. <laughs> and in those moments, when I started thinking about what was going on there for me, it was about the compactness. It was, and, and, that, and that, that metaphor of compactness is really a metaphor for confidence. Mm, love it. And I'm working with these folks who, this is, this is me thinking back to 15 years ago or longer, maybe 20 years ago, where I'm working with people who are inviting me to come and lead in their organizations. And they have what you or I might now describe as more traditional styles of leadership. And so they're inviting me to act in particular ways. And I'm thinking, yeah, no, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't make sense. If we're, if we're looking for more voices at the table, that's great that I'm being invited. Yet, if I'm invited and then I use my voice to then decide what voices are and aren't at that table, you know, to, to be more of a door than... Than, than something open, something that opens up, like a closed door rather than something that opens up, then, well, I don't really want to be at that table. And then to my joy and delight, I discovered that there's this whole field of modern leadership. And my first experience was extremely overwhelmed because often it would be just me in an organization where there would be the sea of traditional leadership voices. and. In order to feel confident enough to calmly and with a great deal of presence, and let's be super clear, it was not like this for many, many, many of those first (laughs) years, to show up with a confidence that there was another way, I needed that sensation of compactness that I literally could hold in my mind, not all the possible ways of being a modern leader, because all the ways of being a possible, you know, possible ways of being a modern leader, it's incredibly overwhelming. I mean, you go out into the world and there's, there's just so rich arrays of skills and insights and knowledge and the depth with which, you know, the, the modern work world is exploring this concept. And this idea of the backpack was actually, it was the way that I said, okay, that's all true. And that's amazing. And in the course of a lifetime, I will learn as much of that as I possibly can. But I do not have to freak out and have uh, a kind of mental breakdown right here and right now. (laughs) Because in this moment, I don't want all the tools in the world. I just want 
one tool that, and it doesn't have to be the best in this array of modern leadership. It just has to be enough. Yeah. Right? So it, for me, this idea of the metaphor I often use is about something that is an one, uh, kind of one of everything or one of the most important things that is enough in a particular moment that I know that no matter how challenging that moment is and no matter how, well, I'm, I'm just going to say, no matter how potentially freaked out I am, if I'm in a situation which is pushing all my buttons, because modern leadership requires I mean, it requires that we, we act in that space of showing up and responding rather than reacting, right? That, that's, that's really at the heart of it. Absolutely. Well, you, can't, you can't do that if you're freaking out. <laughs> wow. Like, as I'm listening to you share that story, I'm like, yes, I would, that was what was happening to me. And, and I think that's why you and I spend so much time iterating back and forth, back and forth about getting it to that compactness so that at any point in time, we could just pull it out and it's easy. And so when we, when we kind of looked at all of the different scenarios, for one of the first things that we did was we, we broke it down. Um, you know, I, I remember us even having these conversations, we kind of broke it down into, okay, so there's the set of stuff or the set of practices that you do internally. So like what, what goes on in your mind, no one else has any idea, kind of like getting yourself into the, to the headspace. And then we coined that inner practices. Mm -hmm. And the, the inner practices, I mean, we talked a lot about this and back to this idea of structure where you're like, okay, inner practices have to come first. And, and then I'm like, but do they, but do they? And, 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 and it's yes and no, right? The, the pre-work of the inner practices definitely has to come first. Like the, if, if that, that first inner practice of shifting mindset, if you don't even know that you have mindsets, then it'd probably be pretty hard to move on from inner practices to the outer practices. So definitely understanding what a mindset is, understanding that a mindset is this concept I'm, I'm using the word concept from the most, I'm, I'm going to say the last handful of years in neuroscience that is beginning to understand the degree to which how we perceive the world, our actual conscious perception of the world depends upon the emotional and thought concepts that we form through physiological propensity, but also through learning. And, and this goes hand in hand with that whole idea of the, the plasticity of our minds. And, and so when we say mindset, we're saying something that is, it shapes our perception, it shapes the way we see the world, and therefore it shapes what we see and we literally don't see. And it's not written in stone. You know, to change mindset is non-trivial. To change mindset is... I mean, we get into this in, in our work. You actually can't change it, but you can morph it, <laughs> right? You, you can't replace it. You can't, you, 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 but you can over time create the conditions that, that shift from one to another. And, and so a lot of our work is sharing how you and I have learned how to do that and sharing how that helps set someone up as that first important stepping stone for inner practices that allow you then to move on to the outer practices. 
that doesn't mean that in any one moment, mindset comes first, right? So the invitation back to the idea of, of the framework is an invitation to always think about mindset. But in any particular moment, you might start with the outer practice. And if you've done enough of your homework prior, then the mindset work might happen when you leave that encounter, particularly if you're on the edge of being freaked out, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then, you know, like speaking of, again, shaping the way you think about things and, and also thinking about it in terms of how you approach things, the, the next sort of inner practice there is enabling learning and improvement. Right, so from a, the mindset is one one thing, but the the other thing that almost stays true or stays permanent, I guess, in your ability to go out there and be in the right mind space or and and create that context is your ability to look at everything as an opportunity to learn and look at everything as an opportunity to improve, right? And and then that kind of feeds back to. Hey, well, if I'm learning, then I, that can actually help me improve my mindset and, and so on and so forth. So that's why we kind of separated that one. I remember us talking about this because it's just that constant reminder of, hey, everything is an opportunity for you to learn and, and become better as a person and then improve as, as you go on. So that's why I like, I really love that particular inner practice. It's separated, I think, also just because in our observations, we noticed that a lot of people who are interested in the inner practice, but don't quite yet have the concept of mindset, start at enabling learning and improvement. And so in a way, the learning and improvement becomes the first mindset shift that they focus on. And, and it's almost done accidentally where they'll begin by, uh, okay, let's learn some processes. I mean, I, I wonder even in your, your story, if looking way back, initially your structure was like that because there was a practice of enabling learning and improvement. And so you were practicing learning and improvement. And in doing so, that actually became your first mindset shift where it was like, oh, hey, I don't know. If, am, I, am I on track here? I'm seeing you nod a bit. I learned the hard way that I needed to learn and improve at the time because I wasn't necessarily conscious of the the framework that we're talking about here it was more along the lines of um hey if something's not working like push harder and then maybe it'll it'll work better you know or let's just repeat the same thing over and over again and hope at some point it works clearly that didn't work out that way and so that's why like I'm laughing is that the enabling the learning and improvement came so much later and I was doing mindset changes, but I had no idea that it was. So you're right in that at some point I realized that I got to do that, but it was so far down the path that, you know, in retrospect, it would have been great if I, if that had happened a little bit earlier consciously. <laughs> well, I think this, this framework that we're offering, it, that's exactly why we're doing it. Because this is, this is, this is what we wished we had, the kind of the short list that we wished we had. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know that that I'm going to say brittleness that I talked about. I didn't use the word brittleness, but that really sums up that feeling of if if the compact security of having the just enough uh, framework, you know, my backpack, so I can go anywhere and go on any adventure. If that's the confidence that the flip side of that, what that replaced was a brittleness, and the brittleness came from at least partly that same not getting it that you're describing, JR, where 
I think when I looked at the wide world of modern leadership and was just, you know, blown away at how amazingly, um, well, worthy of being followed. So many of these leaders are worthy of being, and by followed, I mean emulated. By followed, I mean, you know, they're inspiring me to act in particular ways in this, this movement of, of modern leadership. And then my own sense of, oh my gosh, here I am being all reactive and in my own head and, and freaking out. And yet I don't, I know I want to be that, but I don't know yet how to be that. I think that what was missing was the understanding that practice makes permanent. You know, this is your expression that you use all the time because it's just so important and it's the heart of enabling learning and improvement. And it was understanding, it was that mindset shift to understand that enabling learning and improvement was how to approach it rather than, oh, well, I'm obviously not cut out for this because I can't do all this in advance before I've even practiced it. So it's interesting that you bring that up because the next inner practice that I learned was you got to do stuff with intention, right? Show up with intention. So if you're going to practice, right, because you're, the intention is to make what you're practicing permanent, that, that practice itself of showing up with intention, thinking about what your intention is, like what is your desired outcome from what you're, what you're doing and, and how you're showing up and all that kind of stuff. That to me, whenever I was thinking about practicing something or learning something or, or the mindsets or whatever, until I include in that, if I don't, if I'm doing it for the wrong reason, it'll never work out. So eventually I figured it out that I had to flip it around and be like, no, no, hold on a second. What is the right reason that I want to be doing this? And then I later learned that the right word to call that is intention. What is my intention here? And as soon as I started asking myself that and actually choosing to show up with that intention, all of the outcomes that came afterwards were so dramatically different because I had done the work to think about why I'm doing that. I like the way that we've taken that into our work together. And when we set out to work on a particular concept, we spend some time at the beginning getting really clear on what our intention is. And then what we end up producing, I don't know about you, but it surprises my socks off half the time. And it's, <laughs> it really, though, is the heart of what allows us to co-create. Because if I came in with a very particular mental notion of outcome and I said, okay, this is how it has to be, or, or not even this is how it has to be. If I came in with like maybe more open language, but I still had that intent that I was looking for a particular outcome or even if one step kind of a, in, in, inner, in the inner practices, one step less clear. Let's say I didn't even have conscious awareness of what my intent was. And I was coming in with an outcome, but I was offering to you a co-creating opportunity. You can see how in that moment between us, there would be all these sparks, especially if you too are showing up with an unconscious un- intent. And then we end up in you know unnecessary conflict, not the healthy differences, but the unnecessary conflict. So when we get really clear about intent and we say, what, you know, in our, in our, in our, it's not even in our biggest hopes and dreams, what could this be in the sense of getting really specific about it? But I mean, how would, how would you talk about Outcome versus intent. 
I think the the simplest way after we iterated and on so many so many times is that when you have an intention, you have this higher sort of reason for doing something. You're looking at a at a desired outcome of like an impact that something would have versus outcomes that are actually very specific. So if you can put those aside, it's like I don't necessarily know what is going to come out of here, but the impact or the the effect that I would like it to have is this. That's when you're working in the realm of intention. And then the why I love it so much is that it opens up the possibility, especially when you're collaborating, as you and I found out many times, where it opens up the possibilities of what you didn't, what you haven't necessarily thought of. And I think that's the difference between an outcome you've already thought about it and an intention is an impact you're trying to have, but you don't necessarily have a solution in mind already, and then anything can emerge. I've thought about it as getting really clear on why, or the why's uh, plural, and noticing the ways that all the why I might bring to why I want to do X, Y, or Z, and the why's you're bringing to why we're doing X, Y, or Z, and knowing that those whys are a little bit like, you know, the onion layer, because when we circle around, like this obviously isn't, you know, we're presenting our framework to the world right now. This isn't the first time we've had this conversation. Um, and yet <laughs> when we have that notion of the, the plural of why, and then we, we do our work together, and then maybe time passes and we go back and we, we look at that why again. The whys can get deeper and more richer is what I've noticed. Absolutely. And then when you can connect on the whys is when magical things happen. Now, interestingly enough, one of the things that we learned during this process is also the next inner practice, which is responding rather than reacting. And the funny part about that one is just going back to the point, Marlene, you were making before is that when our intentions were slightly off or we hadn't discussed or anything like that, there was that friction or some sparks or whatever it is. And naturally, I mean, we're human, right? So naturally, there's going to be some emotion that comes with it. And naturally, that's going to take, uh, take you to reaction. And so one of the practices, if you will, that I remember myself practicing as we were developing our work together is actually learning the practice of responding, taking the time to think through and, and making that space for thinking around, you know, what's my mindset here? How am I, how am I enabling my own learning and growth? And also what is my intention here? And just making that space for that to happen completely changed for me what would happen next. And that's why there would be a uh, for the most part, I mean, I'm not perfect, right? And this is, you know, we said it before, practice, right? Practice, practice, practice. So by no means do I claim to do this perfectly. What it allowed me to do is understand that there is a much better response to whatever, you know, whatever stimulus was happening there, or whatever kind of triggered the situation, that a productive response was a lot better than a reaction that may have actually set us off in a completely different direction. So for me, I know even when we were creating the framework and we were, in, and I mean, we spent hours together, right? Like hours upon hours upon hours. That one was such an important practice for me to practice. And it was an amazing opportunity to do it too in a safe space as our, you know, our working studio. I love the example of this framework as something when we talk about our co-creation around it, 
because what we're really talking about is, you know, your binder, your, your framework, your method for being the leader and the person who practices the leadership in the way that you do. So put another way, you know, it's, it's your, it's your secret sauce, right? Absolutely. And for me, these practices are likewise so important to how I've come to be in the world. And, you know, they're the story of my own growth and the story of my own trajectory. And so to say that these are two incredibly personally held things is a bit of an understatement, right? Like it's so much part of how we show up. And so to co-create across a gradient, across our differences, our similarities and our differences in how these practices in our lives, how they came to be very similar and also in the ways in which they're different. It's, it's like if we were trying to come up with something that there would be lots of space to be reactive about. I don't think you could try more <laughs> because, you know, you might say, oh, well, I think about it this way. And I'm like, but if I thought about it that way in this, this and that and that situation, I would have been toast. <laughs> You know, I think about it this way because of these meaningful reasons for me, you know, and vice versa. And so it's just been a really fascinating practice in co-creating, which is at the heart of the practicing leadership that you and I talk about and embody or mm-hmm. try to embody and, and, and have, have many lessons whereby we've come to to practice it, I think pretty convincingly. And yet also we're people who have this history of and remembering how we learned and remembering where it wasn't easy. And I mean the the responding versus reacting, that's tough. Right? That Absolutely. that is I don't I don't think well first I don't think it's necessary that I get to a point in my life where that quote never happens. And I also don't think it's possible. Like there's something about being human and having the experiences that we've had and all of the complexity that make us so interesting that there's always going to be moments where we react and, you know, we don't respond the way we want to. So part of why for me this is in the framework is simply recognizing that back to the idea of compactness and what's enough. It's enough that it's in, you know, it's in the framework. It's enough that it's in my backpack. It's enough that it's there. So that even when I have moments where I have been incredibly reactive, I know that the sooner I catch it, then the better the situation is, the the more I can create the conditions for those around me to show up as the best versions of themselves. And the more I can create the conditions for myself to show up as the best version of myself. And that it isn't about being perfect. Mm -hmm. And it's also about an invitation to continue to add to those tools, right? So you're always saying it's just enough, which is absolutely true. And there's an invitation there to make sure that in your enabling of learning and improvement, you have this, this almost like this overarching intention of continuing to add to those tools so that you, you know, as, as you encounter various different situations in your life, you know, will either increase in complexity or whatever it is, that ultimately, over the course of time, you have those tools in there in each of the practices that will be enough. And back to that idea, though, of 
creating the conditions for myself to show up as the best possible version. This responding versus reacting being at the heart of what we're talking about, then it's actually the framework itself that creates the sensation of enough, right? So absolutely, enough Mm -hmm. is a bar that over time can be raised, no doubt. Yet in any one moment, I'm the most likely to show up with the greatest capacity for responding when I'm standing on what to me feels like firm ground. So put another way, I accept that in the moment, what I have in that backpack is enough. So let's, let's recap because we went over the, the four inner practices. Shifting the mindset was the first one. And I'll say first one just because I'm going re- to go through them in order right now. But, you know, just to put it out there as a reminder, you don't necessarily have to go through these in order. We had shifting the mindset. We had enabling learning and improvement. We had showing up with intention. And then we had responding rather than reacting. And I think, Merlane, it would be great in the spirit of just enough. What if for this episode, let's leave it at inner practices and then next one, continue on with outer practices? Yes. All right. So in that case, stay tuned for the next episode where we'll talk about outer practices. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Practitioner Podcast. We invite you to share your thoughts on this episode and your thoughts on how you practice leadership. Join us in the Leadership Practitioner Connection, our community of like-minded practitioners who aspire to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work. You can find it at leadershippractitioner.org slash connection. Mm-hmm.